0: This is a Vault Studios production. I'm Spencer Brudig. I'm Will Johnson.
1: I'm Jessica Knoll. This show contains graphic material and is meant for mature audiences.
0: This week on True Crime Chronicles.
2: Police were helpless. A suspect behind the wheel of a stolen tank was on a rampage, plowing through rush hour traffic, destroying anything in its way, downing power lines and light poles. The pictures were shocking, terrifying, and simply unbelievable. A 60-ton runaway tank plowing through the streets, stopping at nothing.
0: Would you believe this was in San Diego in 1995? A town known for its beachside taco stands and its year-round warm weather became the backdrop for one of the most bizarre and destructive police chases in American history. But before we get to what's become known as the American Tank Rampage, we first need to understand the story of 35 year old Sean Nelson. Sean grew up in the Claremont neighborhood of San Diego. After graduating from Madison High School, he joined the Army. He went on to serve a couple of years in what was then West Germany. His unit, a tank battalion. Sean was known as a bit of a rule breaker. He had a couple of disciplinary problems and was honorably discharged in the early 80s and came home to San Diego, where he got married, bought a home, and started a successful plumbing business. According to his wife at the time, the next six years of life was good, but it didn't last. Sean's parents died rather suddenly. His wife divorced him in 1990, and that same year he was involved in a motorcycle accident, leaving him in excruciating pain. And soon he was self-medicating with alcohol, which, within a couple of years, evolved into an addiction to methamphetamine. By 1995, Sean's life had taken a turn for the worse. His business had failed. The bank foreclosed on his house. Sean was alone, suffering from addiction, and had nothing to his name. According to San Diego police, in May of 1995, Sean told a friend he was thinking of committing suicide, also revealing that he thought the Oklahoma City bombing just a month prior it was good stuff.
3: I was uh, having a rather slow day at the time. Uh, I was sent to a hospital uh, emergency room to wait for an ambulance to arrive for another story. Joe Wiedemann is a news photographer for KFMB-TV
0: in San Diego. He clearly remembers May seventeenth, 1995.
3: It was around 6.30 p.m. I was listening to the police scanners uh, in my vehicle, And I heard a report of a tank that had been stolen from an armory. And I go, well, that's very unusual, but uh, we'll see what happens. Maybe it's just a mistake. Maybe someone uh, was mistaken about what they saw. Thirty minutes earlier, Sean Nelson got into a Chevy van
0: and drove down the road to the nearby armory. The armory usually closes at 5 p.m., but on this particular evening, the employees at the vehicle yards were working late. Meeting no resistance, Sean drove into the armory and parked his van. The vehicle yard was completely deserted of people. Dozens of military vehicles were parked. According to reports, Sean walked up to the first tank he could find. It was an M60 Patton tank, a 57-ton behemoth that was there, most likely for retrofitting or decommissioning. He was able to break into the hatch, most likely with a crowbar. Many tanks of this generation required nothing but a button to start, no key necessary. He sat in the driver's seat, pushed the button, but nothing happened. He hopped out, walked over to the next one, broke into it like the first one, pushed his finger to the ignition, but again, nothing. Frustrated, he made his way into a third tank and popped the hatch open. By this time, there was an armory guard that had heard the commotion. He began yelling at Sean to get out of the vehicle. Sean sat down, pushed the button, and this time, the tank roared to life. The guard, with no way to stop a now rolling tank, ran to a nearby guard station and called local police. The
3: American tank rampage had just begun. And I'm listening to this on the scanner thinking, I should be there, I should be covering this, I should be seeing what's going on. The hospital, though, was a good 15, 20 minutes away from where the tank was. Um, So I called the assignment desk and said, hey, do you want me to roll on this? And they said, well, yeah, sure, go ahead. I mean, there's only a a couple people working. This was was the night shift. I worked the 3 to 11.30 shift. Sean drove the
0: stolen tank out of the armory and onto the surface roads of San Diego. There's no ammunition in the tank, and even if there were, the tank's weapons are the first things disabled. That being said, it's still a 57-ton wrecking ball with almost nothing man-made able to stand in its way
3: police are quick to respond. Uh, as you can imagine, when something like this is going on, the police are wondering, what do we do? You know, we're, we're police officers in cars and there's a, a multi-ton tank running around. We've never faced an adversary like this before. It's a 57-ton piece of metal. And uh, they uh, started wondering how they should approach this. They were asking for advice from... Uh, lieutenants and sergeants and trying to figure out uh... what they should do um, so they were getting into position as i was trying to get into position there isn't much you can do to stop it there isn't much you can do to get out of its way if it wants to come after you um, so i started thinking of you know once i get there what am i going to do once i get there where am i going to park so that uh my news van doesn't turn into a target for this thing because it's, you know, news vans are generally very bright and attention getting. And, uh, so I could have been a target at one point. Uh, so I started thinking of places where I could, you know, hide the van and jump out with my camera and start uh, getting some video of the, the tank going by. Uh, I've covered a lot of pursuits in my Time and generally your window of opportunity is, is very short. If you get uh, one good shot of the car going by, uh, you're good for a while and then you have to jump back into your car and, and try to find another location and beat them there if you know where they're going and in which direction. The one saving grace for the police and Joe is that the tank's
0: top speed is 30 miles per hour. So it's not a matter of catching the tank, but once you
3: do, how do you stop it? as it was coming up Convoy Street, I started picturing the area in my mind thinking, okay, well, again, I've got to hide this van, I've got to hide myself, you know, because if I'm a pedestrian out there with a camera, I am not going to outrun a 30 mile an hour tank if he sees me. And uh, a guy out there with a camera pointing it at, you know, a guy breaking the law, I could be a target also. So I had to start thinking of places to shelter myself, but but then, where do you shelter yourself when there's a tank? I mean, you you can go into a building, you can you know drive over a car, you, you can tear down a brick wall in in a matter of seconds. So I started thinking of places to hide, not only the van but myself.
1: I had my son. That's when I was in. There was like nowhere to reverse because there was cars behind you, and all you're thinking if this if the cops make him mad and he turns, he's gonna crush us all to get away.
3: I chose a location where i thought i could do that there was uh, at the at the corner of balboa and convoy there's a strip mall it's a little l-shaped building and i knew which direction the tank was coming from and how the building was laid out so i decided i was going to park the van in the corner of that l-shaped strip mall <laughs> provided there was a space and uh, hopefully he wouldn't see it on his way up the street So that's what I did. I timed it out uh, amazingly well. I I got there in time to park the van, jump out, grab my camera. By the sidewalk of that street, of that uh, strip mall, by the sidewalk of that strip mall was a huge billboard with a huge maybe five foot in diameter post holding it up. And I thought that's the perfect spot for me to hide. Uh, because I can move around behind it as the tanks coming by I can maybe peek out the side and and get a shot of him coming up the street and he won't see me and uh, if he does come after me I'm thinking well maybe I can just hide behind this five foot wide post that uh, was metal and maybe he wouldn't it would at least slow him down enough for me to run further away. Now the police at the time were doing a wonderful thing and a brilliant it was a brilliant move on their part when you see a police chase you see the cars behind the vehicle being pursued with a tank the danger is more in front of it than behind it and they're not really chasing it they're just clearing a path for it so there were san diego police cars with lights and sirens doing what you would call round robins in front of the tank they were clearing a path they were on their Uh, speakers telling cars to move out of the way. They were trying to clear a path for this destructive machine to get by.
1: But it was something else. It was so scary seeing all these lights and looking for a small car. And you turn around and look and you see a big army tank.
3: So cars were moving out of the way. Sirens were blaring. Police cars were doing loop-de-loops in front of the tank to get people out of the way. And uh, that's when I focused on the tank. I was across the street from the lane that he was in, but he was basically coming toward me, and that's something I'd never seen before. was a tank coming my direction. Uh, you know, most people put themselves behind a tank, so it's a little bit safer, but uh, I don't know if it was foolishness or just ambition to get the shot. I put myself in front of him. Uh, so he's coming up the street, and uh, he's got a big parade with him, with police cars and lights and sirens. And As he's getting closer and closer and closer, he jumps up onto the curb and takes down a street light, uh, a traffic signal, like it was a, a matchstick. It was a big metal pole and he just bent it at the base and it fell right over, made a lot of noise, and it stuck on the top of the tank. He was dragging this thing around for a little while until it finally fell off.
0: Now less than 100 yards away from Joe and the van,
3: The tank turns abruptly, aiming straight for him. For a split second, and that's all it was, a split second. For a split second, he was facing my direction, and I wasn't sure if he could see me. I wasn't sure if he was coming for me. I wasn't sure if he was going to take us all out. But uh, my heart skipped a beat, and he corrected himself back into traffic, and I realized that he was going to move on past me.
2: What did you think at that time of seeing a tank? We said, oh my God, we got out. Actually, we all got back in the car and took
3: off. Uh, I call in to the assignment desk and I tell them what I've got. And they seem less concerned about getting my video back to the station than getting me to a helicopter to uh, follow the chase. Well, we didn't have a helicopter of our own at the time. We rented one as needed. Uh, So they had to call a pilot and the pilot was 15, 20 minutes away from the airport. Uh, We got up and uh, we flew over the the scene of destruction. Uh, There were fire hydrants gushing. There were crushed cars. There was a a motor home that had been sliced in two. Uh, It just looked like, I'm from the Midwest, and to me it looked like a tornado had gone through that was the type of destruction. You you know when you see a tornado go through there are cars that aren't where they're supposed to be and there's debris everywhere. And this had been quite a, a destructive run. Sean Nelson is fully
0: committed to destroying as much property as he possibly can. He pancakes cars, shears through a motorhome, snaps trees, tears up lawns, but he seems to be avoiding
3: people, anything where someone might be standing. The most interesting part of the chase to me was from the police video was he drives up the curb toward a house he's in the front yard racing toward the house and he stops he stops very quickly he slams on the brakes we can only assume that he didn't want to hurt anyone and he didn't know who was in the house he didn't want to go rampaging through someone's living room and maybe kill a child or someone. That's all we can hope. We'll never know. We'll never know what was on his mind. We'll never know what possessed him to do it or what he was trying to accomplish. But, uh, I mean, that's maybe the one saving grace of the story was it was apparent anyway that he didn't want to hurt anyone. The tank veers off the surface roads and turns onto the interstate. When he was on the freeway, uh, he was going southbound. Uh, at one point, he tried to take out a pedestrian bridge by knocking the support, but it was a it was a big concrete support that was maybe 10 feet wide, and the tank just couldn't do it. He hit it two or three times, and it just wouldn't come down. So he continued on down the freeway. Uh, there were police cars around him, in front of him, beside him, behind him, and he decided he just wanted to turn around and go the other way, but... He tried it by going over the center median. So he wanted to go from southbound to northbound. So he tried to jump the center median, which is one of those K-rails. You know, it's about three feet high or so. But it was just high enough so that when the tank hits the K-rail at an angle, it high-centered the tank. High-centered means... The center of the tank is higher than the treads can hit the ground with. So one of the treads came off of the tank and he was just sitting there, not spinning in the air, but sitting on top of this guardrail, with one of the treads flying off and he couldn't go anywhere. And there was, you could tell he was revving the engine. There was smoke coming out of the exhaust pipes.
0: One of the dozens of officers involved in the chase is officer Paul Paxton. Paxton was a military reservist assigned to a tank unit. Seeing an opportunity and with the tank temporarily immobilized, Officer Paxton, with bolt cutters in hand, made the decision to jump onto the tank and try to permanently end the rampage.
2: We saw the tank hit the barrier and then it turned sideways and the police all jumped on it.
3: Four very brave police officers jumped up on top of that tank, used bolt cutters to get the hatch open, Pried it open and told him to shut down the tank and stop what he was doing. Uh, Apparently, from other reports, uh, apparently he didn't want to do that. So he went back to trying to maneuver the tank. According to
0: police reports, an officer shot into the tank, striking Sean Nelson in the neck. He later died at nearby Sharp Memorial Hospital.
2: At 2 in the morning, the tank was finally lifted from broken concrete. It would be the end to one of the most bizarre and terrifying ordeals San Diego has ever seen.
0: In the end, Shawn Nelson's tank rampage lasted 23 minutes, smashed 40 cars, an RV, dozens of road signs, fire hydrants, and light poles, and left 5,100 people without power and water.
1: No car.
2: (laughs) It's flat. It's a pancake. It looks like a yellow pancake with two raisins on the top. I mean, it was like a nightmare.
0: Police have since said they were lucky that the tank got stuck on the concrete medium. Just
3: knowing that four police officers can stop a tank like that is comforting because there were reports afterwards that they were asking the military, uh, you know, what options they had. You know, how do you stop a tank? And one of the options was to bring in a, a helicopter, an armed helicopter. In its
0: aftermath, an internal investigation revealed a lack of precautions to stop something like this from happening. Security was heavily tightened at the armory. Fences and walls were mended to prevent a future event from occurring. For those that lived through it, though, it's something they'll never forget.
2: They're working as fast as they can today to erase all traces of what the tank did to this neighborhood. What will be harder to erase for those who saw it are the memories of what happened last night. I'll never forget that. Joe Brenna says the tank driver even talked to people as he drove. His head was like out of the tank, and he was yelling, Plumber
3: Bob. I can think of three, of three stories that I will never, ever forget. The tank day was certainly more dangerous for me than any other story I've covered. Uh, I've never been that close to something that I had no chance of sheltering myself from.
1: So this happened in 1995. And to be quite frank, I don't recall this story. um, When I was telling my husband about it, he vividly remembered um, being in high school and and hearing about this story. Do you guys remember when it happened and it was all over the news? Yeah, 25
0: years. It's been a while, but I definitely remember maybe not So much the day that this happened, I'm not sure if I was watching news on a regular basis 25 years ago, uh, a daily basis, but I I definitely remember the aftermath and all of the coverage that came out in sort of, you know, a pre-internet period. If this happened today, of course, it'd be out there like as it happened. Uh, And not that it wasn't, you know, being filmed by news crews, but there were a whole lot of uh, outlets that jumped on this story and it was sort of out there in the years to come as a really phenomenal... Uh, video, this just crazy scene.
1: And, yeah, you're totally right. If, if this happened today, we'd be watching it live on Facebook. Someone would be recording this, whether it's a news outlet or someone on the street, and we would be watching this as it was unfolding.
0: And, and, again, not that they weren't, you know, we hear about them following this chase in a helicopter, and you could certainly, you know, have watched it on television back in the day, But but, yeah, I think we all agree nowadays it would just be sort of like what everyone was glued to because the scene was so dang crazy. I mean, a, a tank rolling down the streets and hearing him talk about the police officers trying to wonder, you know, wondering about how do you stop that?
2: And and for me, you know, I was I was five years old at the time, but it was honestly one of the earliest uh, police chase crime stories. I remember my parents being like, this is insane because San Diego, I had family down there. We had been down there and it was unbelievable being from California and seeing this occur uh, and then, you know, hearing about it, it's aftermath for days to come.
1: I think for me, though, what really stood out when hearing this story is just how incredibly sad this was, um for this veteran. I mean, he was dealing with a lot in his life. business was f- failed and and his wife was divorcing him. His parents died. And just all these things just seemed to um, take over and And luckily, no one was injured in this rampage,
2: yeah, and I think that. You know, it's obviously much more in-depth, his spiral, than we are able to portray it in a couple of minutes. Um, But, you know, it does seem so clear, right? I mean, he had these horrible things happen, and then his mental state seems to just degrade where he's, you know, digging for gold in his backyard, um, you know, believing that he's going to be able to strike it rich and and buy all of the things that he's lost back into his life. It is really sad.
0: You know, one other aspect to this story is that uh, in this episode, we're talking to a photographer at one of our stations. We've talked to a lot of reporters and anchors. I think it's really cool to go behind the scenes with someone who, you know, is out there with with a news crew or by himself in this case, sort of running around trying to capture all this footage. I think, you know, to hear from a, a veteran news photographer who is doing a job that you don't always realize how incredibly dangerous it could be. And hearing him talk about this and positioning himself and being in front of the tank and, you know, at the last minute it veers off, you really get that sense of how dangerous that job can be.
1: Absolutely.
0: So thanks to Joe Wiedemann for bringing us the story this week.
2: And also, uh, if you like uh, what you heard this week, please uh, give us a like and a subscribe, and please rate us on whatever platform you're listening to this episode on.
0: And Jessica, where can people learn more about our podcast and Vault Studios?
1: You can join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under Vault Studios, True Crime Chronicles, or Inside the Crime Vault. We have a Facebook page called Inside the Crime Vault, where I would actually love for people who've listened to this episode to come on to that great and tell us what you think about this story and this case, because it's a little bit out of the the norm of what we've covered in true crime. So I'd love to hear what everyone thinks about it. And it's also a great platform for you to tell me and us about uh, a case that you think we should look at, too. All
0: right. We'll be back next week with a new case and a new story.